0: Hello and welcome to episode 107 of the world's first Paul Weller fan podcast. I'm Dan Jennings, and 10 years ago, I gave up my live streaming career as a radio presenter with one big regret never getting to interview my hero, the legendary British musician, Paul Weller. This podcast exists purely to solve that issue. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Paul. Something a bit different on this episode of the podcast I'm going to ask you to go and get your copy of our favourite shop. We're going to dig in to the cover of the Style Council's most commercially successful album. My guest, photographer Ollie Ball. It's undoubtedly one of the best album covers in Paul's 45 year career and immediate commercial and critical success on release with an album cover that so many of you fans spent hours, days, and weeks figuring out, pouring over every little bit of detail. Ollie Ball, thanks for joining me. You're welcome. My pleasure. Now I'm looking forward to chatting with you because uh, let me read you some of the quotes from some of the fans of this album and what your work means to them. Okay, so this is Carl Blackburn, who's a listener to the podcast. He says, "Our favourite shop has to be the most interesting album cover ever made. That in itself would make a great exhibition." Oh,
1: flattery indeed.
0: <laughs> yeah, Shane Juson. I didn't hunt out anything else from it, but I did study it for hours. Whereas Mike Hoff says, I try to buy everything in there. You must have heard this so many times. So this is the Star Council. You don't have this. This is the Star Council. Here we are, beautiful vinyl, our favorite shop. This kind of, I don't know what you'd call this, kind of unfolding, huge, big picture. On the front cover of our favorite shop, the second album from the Style Council. So we're going to dig into this and your memories of this and what it all means. And hopefully, you know some of the answer, some of the fans are asking, right? Yeah, I hope so. Both <laughs> flattered by that. People love this album cover, man, and the amount of time they spend with it, kind of studying it and looking at all the details yeah. and, and trying to track down the things that are in it and stuff is mad. I once found a bootleg poster
1: of it at Dingle's Market. So I just bought
0: it I didn't bother telling him It was <laughs> Didn't log a complaint You just got So how did it all Come about Ollie? This uh, this album was released June the 8th 1985 Our favourite shop A number one album Which we'll talk about A bit later as well But how did you come To get involved How did they track you down Because it wasn't like You were a photographer Of lots of album covers At that point
1: uh, No I um actually, I love editorial A lot of home stuff And Simon Halfon rang me And said what well, I thought." Talk- him about doing an album cover and he wouldn't say who it was. So he came in the studio and he'd seen some work I'd done for the Observer magazine, which was there were rooms based around the TV series. So on the TV, there'd be like Dallas and, you know, very ornate dripping in gold room and then the food to match it. And we did uh, The Tube, Dallas, Chronicle. Was it? or oh, no. But that was very high tech and we had sushi in it. So he'd seen them and liked the look. So he came along and... So I said, yeah, I'd love to do it. I did it remarkably cheaply, I remember, because I really wanted to do the job. Once I found out who it was, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Presumably you were aware of Mr. Weller. Were you a fan of the oh, jam? Yeah. Did the Style Council a, mean much to you? I wasn't a massive fan of the jam at the time, but the Style Council I was. I had
1: in 27 in 1980. Right. So I'd sort of got my music, you know. I was a member of the Stones fan club when I was 11. You know, and I'd seen David Bowie at the Free Trade Hall when it was half empty, and Roxy Music, Bob Marley. So you know, as well as the music, but punk thing sort of passed us by. And we were right in the middle of it because we're in Covent Garden. Mm. But it just seemed something that would be over in a rush. You know, it's a bit grubby at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the talent came
0: out of it didn't it and the interesting thing about this second album is that the, so the first album is really eclectic Paul's hardly on it really singing vocals quite a lot of the first side of the first album is like instrumental or it's different vocalists and stuff this second album our favourite shop there's a lot of Paul on there they've kind of settled much more on the lineup with Paul and Mick and then Dee and Steve and Kamel Hines so a lot of people talk about this as being their favourite style council album and I think the cover helps right uh, oh, I hope so yeah <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) The single, Come
1: to Milton Keynes" was a colour version of it, which, to be honest, I think works even better. Of
0: course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Talk us through how this worked, then. How much prep did you have to do in advance? Where did the items come from? How much input did you have into that?
1: Right, well, after Simon had been, we went to Solid Bond and met Paul and Mick, and they sort of went through the sort of things they wanted and the records. Most of the stuff on the walls is theirs, but some of it's mine, like my snooker cube, my George Best coat hanger. And, you know, we got in the the gadget machine, you know, the counter. So we had a stylist and she got lots of stuff, the red flag, which... Unfortunately, you can't see in black and white, but there's a big red flag in the top left-hand corner. And then it was their books and all their record covers and clothes and stuff. We all sort of put it together on a Sunday afternoon. He had turned up in the big Mercedes with his dad and these boxes of records and clothes. And yeah, we spent a few hours putting it all together and shot it, I would think, early evening. It was a Sunday,
0: I remember. Were you all involved in hanging the shop essentially, or did Paul mix it? Yeah. up? everybody's hanging stuff up. Everyone got yeah, because I'd have had a couple of assistants there. You know, the set building, my assistant Russ, and yeah, we would all have been involved in it. Yeah. I love the idea of Paul and Mick, like, hanging stuff up or making sure the right book is at the front of the rack and things like oh,
1: that. Oh, no, absolutely. And there's lots of little things going on, that things hidden behind other things that are a little bit naughty, shall we say.
0: Well, let's go through some of these things. So if, we, if we're if we looking at the album cover, like fully-opened album cover, we start from yep. the left, right, and we've got the book rack. Paul was quoted as saying that there's a lot of interesting books on it, but you can't see all of them, obviously, but there's some um, of them behind other books and stuff. But we've got things yeah. like George Orwell at the time was Paul's favourite. Author um, right. Joe Orton, a biography of Joe Orton. Yeah, prick, prick up your up, ears, yeah.
1: Lauren McCall. Uh, there were the Skinhead books. Uh, there's a Kenneth Williams book up the junction. I can see there. Karl Marx, Chelsea Program,
0: Danger Man. I uh, I can see them quite clearly on this this sleeve. And how much of that that was all stuff that Paul and Mick had brought in? That was all there yeah. That was all, all that. There and their and the little references and the little favourite things of theirs and stuff. Yeah. And then next we go to the coat rack. So we've then got some hats, which I believe are part of like the style council history. These these things mean yeah. something to the style council. Yeah, they
1: history. do. And then there's an embassy coupon stuck in there. And yeah.
0: Yeah. And yeah. 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 yeah So that was the one From one of the videos Wasn't it And I think the Oh god which one was it Was it the so I think it's the Solid Bond video Wasn't it the mixed mix one I don't know I'm not sure And actually we've got The cardboard cutout Of George Best And right behind him John Lennon as well uh, Well
1: George was mine Still got that And John Lennon was his
0: <laughs> How did you get Preference where George Best Was was in front of Lennon
1: That's a good question I don't know Maybe I was Pulled right perhaps <laughs> I don't know, but they really liked George Best because they'd they'd been to seeing them play Northern Ireland so they could see George. I was a big United fan, you know, all my life. I was pleased to get him in there.
0: The big gadget thing in the middle of that back cover, if you look at it, the album, is, is a cappuccino machine, right? Yeah, yeah. So we got that
1: in. Our stylist Fran got that. There's a pinball underneath it. If you can see the back of a pinball machine. So we got that as well. I think it must have been their ghetto
0: blaster. Paul and Mick, obviously, huge, big music fanatics. It must have been very difficult to decide which of the albums are going to be on display there, what's going to be at yeah. the run. And we've gone with uh, Sly and the Family Stone, right? There's a
1: copy of Rave magazine.
0: And again, with- more on Beatles. I mean, Paul famously talks about, you know, his love of the Beatles. There's a big Beatles yeah. night poster. There's a little calendar or a photo of um, Lennon and McCartney together on that back cover there as well. Yeah, well, I think isn't wasn't that copied for the inside sleeve. Yeah, you're right. So inside we've got Paul and Mick, mirror image of the McCartney and Lennon picture that's on the back of the album cover there. Yeah,
1: in fact, there's another copy of Rave up on the shelf.
0: A couple of the other comments from the fans. Mark Williams on Twitter said, this led to me discovering the magic of Sly and the Family Stone. I bought the LP that featured on the cover, then I soon bought every other LP I could find by them.
1: (laughs) Oh, brilliant! Well, there's lots more on the, the front, aren't there? There's Osis Blue, I think. Then there's a Curtis Mayfield album. So, how many
0: takes did you have to do? Did you kind of because it's not like you had digital camera there, right? So it's not like you could take a photo oh, and then no. show them and then go, "Oh, not quite sure about this." That well, bit. we doing
1: Polaroids. Okay. We always got
0: Polaroids. You know, you can change the back on the camera. I've no idea. I would, we must have shot a dozen rolls. I would think. Were there Polaroids, and then you were showing them, and then they were going, "Okay, no, actually, let's tweak that. Let's change that." Yeah, bit. But that's, yeah,
1: that's how. You He'd set up everything. It was, I mean, now obviously it's so much cheaper. I mean, it was expensive stuff, Paul Roy. we used to
0: shoot a lot of it. I love the what idea of just being in there building this thing. So there's a couple of big ones that stand out, right? So actually, three yeah. big ones that to me stand out. So, number one, the Rickenbacker at the front. Yeah,
1: right?
0: absolutely. Whose was that? Do you know? I'm guessing it was Paul. That's Paul's, yeah. And Mr. Weller brings that in. And then the jacket. There's like a military jacket. I mean, that was his as well. Yeah, I'm sure they brought that
1: sergeant pepper thing i guess
0: so in smash hits magazine paul was quoted as saying i don't know why i put this tunic in i just fancied the idea of having one of these in the photo just for the look of it it doesn't have any special significance okay and then the rickenbacker my favorite rickenbacker guitar is from my ever-growing guitar collection it's quite tricky to play because it's a 12 string yeah that's
1: well forgotten that. yeah it is I'd forgotten all
0: about that. Yeah, it was a 12-string, yeah. When the album was released, it goes to number one. How did it feel having your photo, which is the entire album cover is your photo, this photo, how did that feel having that on the shelves of record shops and when you're out and about, presumably, you're oh. spotting it in places and stuff?
1: I have made up, obviously. <laughs> I mean, I was used to having my name in the up, so I had lots of credits, like, you know, I worked for the Observer, like I say, and... The telegraph. So I was used to having my name in the magazines, but yeah, having it big like that all over the place was. Uh, but I say finally the poster at Dingle's Market.
0: Like, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so some of the other fans here, Carl Blackburn said, I had a few things already which I don't now. The suede head, skinhead books, rave magazine, the small faces, the Soul Rules OK belts. Where's that? Where's the Soul Rules mm-hmm. OK belt? Oh yeah, above on the top of the sh- top right of the shelf, right? Yeah, yeah, there it is. Yeah. He says the Otis Blue LP and one or two other items. I get to go to extremes in Liverpool, which was a place for t shirts and badges, looking for an Otis Reading t shirt, but to no avail. The bloke in there said it doesn't exist. I said it's on the front <laughs> cover of the latest Star Council LP. He said they probably had it made. <laughs> I don't know. It's a beautiful T-shirt, though. <laughs> I'm a, tw- a
1: twigging coat
0: hanger. Uh, Sean Patrick Hand, who is a brilliant author, he's written an amazing book on the jam, if you haven't checked it out yet. He says, I spent hours squinting at it. I still haven't worked out who that Marx Brothers book is by. <laughs> we'll come back to that. He said, one year, my Christmas presents to my dad consisted solely of stuff from there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: really.
0: <laughs> right where's the Marx Brothers book point me to that it's,
1: one. that's above the Joe Orton book I
0: think as we're speaking Alex McLaughlin has replied says the Marx Brothers book is called their world of comedy so there you go thank you Alex the other thing that stands out is the um, the rack on the far right hand side so above the wording our favorite shop you've got a little tiny piano on top of this shelf but there's Basically, the draw the drawers of the clothes.
1: Yeah, they described that sort of shelving, you know, that sort of desk from a clothes shop. And I knew exactly what they wanted, and luckily the stylist did. So we got that, and those are all our clothes. As again, it's, it's, you know, it's easy to see in colour. Lots of pastels, few stripes, and there's, you know, there's like the shoes at the front, bottom
0: right. Can you see that? I don't know if you can see that. Yeah. Obviously, all their ties. And what's also on top of the shelf, we can see there's like a little Little Baby Grand Piano, is that right?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure what that was. And the bell, the classic cling you know, service yeah. bell. And there's a phone in the corner on a little shelf. which You can just see behind the ties.
0: All the He's... little touches, all the little details are clearly like really well thought about by Mick and Paul yeah. and Simon and yourself. But a lot of thought has gone into this. You're not just kind of, it's not just chucking a load of stuff in a room and then going, that'll do, is it?
1: You know, I was used to doing it. You know, I did lots of shoots with lots of stuff in. So I was quite used to, you know, having a lot of stuff to play with. I've got sort of got a bit of a reputation for like shooting Christmas presents. No, it was great fun. Can you see the Clockwork Orange poster? You probably can't. There's probably someone standing in the way of that. That's below another country.
0: They look amazing as well. The two of them look pretty dapper on that garden cover, right?
1: Yeah, Paul was very serious. Mick was a little bit lighter, but Paul was just completely down to business. No chat, just get on with it. (laughs) Straight into the job.
0: Yeah. And what do your family, what do your friends say when this goes live? So this, this album goes out. I mean, how, are you shouting from the rooftops that you, you, you're part of a number one album? Or do people...
1: We all worked in that business, you know. I mean, the fact is number one was a bonus, you know. The studio I worked in, there are always lots of bands in and out. Because I've shared an office with Cameron McVeigh, who did the first Madness cover. All the early Boy George stuff. So all those people are often in and out of the studio. I mean, Cameron ended up marrying Nina Cherry, and he went on into the music business. he gave up photography and became a musician and a producer. So we were used to having lots of pop stars around, you know. And I mean, Brian Ferry had been in there. I met David Essex when I was an assistant. Malcolm and Wise were in a couple of times and Tommy Cooper. So you're quite used to having celebs around the place. And also, most of my friends were in the magazine and advertising business. So we were sort of used to stuff being published, you know. But yeah, I mean, that was a kick when it went straight to number one. That's the only cover I ever did.
0: I was going to ask you what, yeah. what came next, but that's literally the only album cover you've ever that's done.
1: That's the only album cover I ever shot. When I was an assistant, my boss did a lot of work for A&M Records. So I maybe did some little shots for them, but, but nothing like
0: that. It's the kind of thing now where you were think, in the same way that Paul and Mick took their inspiration from artists and things that they loved, it's the kind of thing that you could see, like bands that are around now who grew up with the Style Council, loved the Style Council, you could see that being the inspiration for an album cover for them. So I think step up to the plate, bands, if that's you, you could recreate this as, you know, and do a version oh, of this for your own thing.
1: Sgt. Pepper was an influence you know, on having lots of stuff to look at. Because as a kid, we all spent hours working
0: out who was who on that. You know, I guess I was 14 when that came out. I'm trying to remember, because I think the version I had of that, there was like a little inlay card with them all numbered and you could look them up. Did the original come with that or not? I don't think so. I
1: don't think so. There was a sort of a coloured cutout sheet with moustaches and corporal's stripes
0: and stuff. But no, I don't think there was a key to it then. Isn't that the lovely thing about vinyl? I mean, this in the world of MP3 and streaming, this album cover wouldn't work at all, would it?
1: Oh, no. Well, they did it, they'd never use it on the CD box or the cassette because it's too small, would not that? So yeah, without vinyl, oh, I'm a big fan of record covers. There's quite a lot of them here. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you have to take us through your collection. Is this one in there?
1: I have got one copy of it, Yeah. I was given, I remember I was given three, and I signed a couple and gave them to friends. But then actually, I dug this singles bag out last night. I've actually says to my mate Ross from All These. Ross was my assistant. I obviously gave it to him at some point, but it's ended up back with me. So, <laughs> thought, like,
0: so you can buy prints of this, folks. We should mention, I'll put the link in the show notes at the Snap Gallery. You can buy prints yeah. online, and it's the full color version, right? Yeah, yeah. So this is the only album shot. So in terms of your photography career since, what was the kind of things that you were mainly doing after that?
1: Well, I used to work for most of the women's magazines. Not so much fashion. I shot a bit of fashion, but mostly accessories, you know, lots of shoes and bags and stuff. And I did catalogue work. Habitat catalogue was my first big break. I was all worked on that as an assistant and then full And So that's how I got the magazine work. You know, working on Hamish that was quite prestigious at the time. So yeah, most of the women's mags, most the home's mags.
0: A couple of things I, I can't work out, so you, you might be able to clear them up for yep. us, right? So on the back cover, there is a cycling shirt, rally cycling shirt. Yep. And to the bottom right of it, there's like a, some kind of pamphlet with a cross on it. Under the CND beret, I'm guessing it is.
1: Well, it says, in memoriam, I think it's Mary Mac something. So I don't know if that's a, could be a family, someone, maybe his grandmother or
0: something. Mary Mac M something, like McMurphy or something. We're getting closer to the truth on that one, Ollie, thanks. Okay. And then on on the front, so above the door, above the Another Country poster.
1: There's a drummer. The left one is a black guy playing the drums. I'm not sure who that is. Then there's the Gospel According to Al Green. Then I think that's an Al Green album next. Then there's Curtis Mayfield and then Otis Blue. And then on the wall, there's some more, one of which is a the Mosan, greatest
0: hits, which I recognise. I love this idea of things being slightly out of shot, and then like even more people have to try and work out the bottom half of an album cover to work out what yeah. this is. <laughs> you could spend days, and then people have yeah, I mean, yeah really, have just looking through this with a message It's definitely easy to clock it in colour as well, because <laughs> you know it
1: makes it more familiar, doesn't it? I mean, like Otis Blue is very obvious when you see it in colour, but it might not be so clear in. Yeah. Like a mine.
0: Wouldn't it be lovely if we had like a new deluxe version of the album to celebrate whatever the next big anniversary is? I'm guessing forty years would be the next next big one coming up. Yeah. And what if that album cover was colour? Wouldn't that be a lovely thing? That
1: would be nice. Yeah, it would but I've only I've only got that one color. Simon's got everything. I mean the, cause the one I've got, they are in it, aren't they? They're not in the so the singles bag, no, there's no one in it. It's just the empty shop. It would look good in colour. And yeah. I look great in colour.
0: Please get him to do it. <laughs> <laughs> if only for the royalties, right? <laughs> I'm guessing you don't get paid by the amount of sales a record makes. So you don't get the extra bonuses like a, like a film, do you? Uh, look at the kickback when it sells no, I don't, You No, know, it
1: does not really
0: leave on to any other work, which, but there you go. Well, look, so many people love this album cover, mate. It's, um, it's, a, it's a lovely piece of work. I mean, it must be so nice to kind of just have that as a physical thing. That is your Yeah, work. it's in so many people's households, right?
1: Well, someone gave me a, a birthday present. It's the um, Tim Burgess Listening Party book.
0: Oh, yeah. I got, I got to, that for Christmas. And he, gives yeah.
1: it to, he gives it to me because you're in it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Which is nice. Well, a lot of people do talk about it being their favorite album from Style Council. Many people talk about it being their favorite uh, album from Paul Weller, full stop, as well. You know, and I think the album cover definitely brings that to life and helps it well as well. The one thing I'm not convinced about is Paul's haircut at the time, but apart from that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was, it was a big floppy fringe, wasn't it? If you were to pick a couple of things that are your favorite items from it that really stand out for your you and the things that you took in, so the things that aren't Paul and Mix, the stuff that's your influence, what would they be?
1: Well, the only things that are mine are the Snooky Q and the George Best hanger. But of their stuff, the Otis Redding t-shirt, without a doubt, would be my favourite thing on yeah. there. And the Rickenbacker, just to
0: look at. On the um, Otis Redding t-shirt, there's a like a circular face above it. Twiggy coat hanger. There's a
1: plastic twiggy coat hanger. And then you've got like Terry Thomas and Marlena Dietrich, Johnny Halliday, Bardot next to the another country, Natalie Wood. Jessica Langs there next to the Beatles. Behind the Hancock thing on the shelf where it says homo, there's quite a sordid illustration of the two of them that one of their mates did. But
0: <laughs> well, that's blurred out by the Hancock book, is it?
1: Well, it's hidden the crucial bits, yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, there's a bit of debate on this podcast about whether Paul is into football, not into football, is a Chelsea fan proper, not a Chelsea fan. But that is Peter Benetti on the on the above the shelf there, yeah. not it? Yeah, yeah. With a Chelsea rosé, right?
1: Yeah, and there's a Chelsea programme at the top of the bookcase.
0: Oh, yes, you're right, Chelsea football so, programme. So, yeah, so.
1: it's definitely Chelsea. So the complete works of Oscar Wilde. I think it says, in memoriam, Mary McMurphy. As I was saying, maybe it's a grandmother or something.
0: Mm. When you got everything in the can You got everything you needed How did you know you were done And what happened then Did you kind of It was a Sunday night So not an awful lot going on But did you pop off For a roast well, dinner somewhere Did you all just clear off home I, How did that happen I
1: remember I probably went to the pub I should think <laughs> <laughs> um, um, But I was thinking about this I've got a feeling We had to pull the set down Before we saw the film And I think they'd have taken All that stuff back on the night I don't remember them Coming back the next day Because it was a higher studio Bow Street. Right So it's it Covent Garden, right next to the Opera House, underneath the Old Floral Hall. So I've got a feeling we took the risk, which you'd never like to do, and we had to actually break it down before we saw the film. You know, because you'd see the film within a couple of hours, but obviously not on a Sunday. Normally, I'd have shot a test early on, so that before we actually started shooting, you'd know that you've got the light right and everything.
0: So that's always a bit see of seat in the pants. That
1: a bit scary. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I like the idea of them all packing away their stuff and shuffling off. But you're right, not not knowing if this has been a success or not. Yeah, it is. From what you've been
1: telling me, it definitely was. It's never occurred to me that there's so many people would be so obsessed with it. But yeah. That's great. Man.
0: Yeah, like, I mean, literally like- with magnifying glass in hand, trying to figure out what yeah. these things are, you know. <laughs> Ollie, hey, look, thank you so much for your time it's taking me for a little journey around this magnificent album cover. Um, what did you make of the music within it? What do you make of it as an album to listen to? Oh,
1: I love it. Yeah. Uh, it's more political than his earlier stuff. Yeah, no, he's, well, he's a genius, isn't he? He just keeps on giving. It's brilliant to have a career that long. I mean, so many don't, you know.
0: Yeah, it's remarkable, isn't it? Absolutely. Hey, look, this has been so lovely. As you'll know um, from the podcast, I have two questions that I ask my guests at the end of every episode. You're allowed one Paul Weller song for the rest of your life. It can be the jam, the Style Council, or solo. I'm guessing, as you've done one of the most iconic album covers in the history of Mr. Weller, that you'll probably pick the Style Council. But what are you going to go with?
1: Yeah, I like Speak Like A Child.
0: Ah, oh, why that one?
1: Uh, I, don't, I like not know. The... Trumpets in it. Horns, you know, it builds up to climates, but. Nice, cute lyrics.
0: And then final question. Um, so the purpose of this podcast is not least to dig into the memories of people like yourself who've met Paul, worked with Paul, these connections from Mr. Weller that so many people have got stories to tell and about themselves and their great careers as well. But really it's to get that interview with Paul Weller that I never managed during my radio career. So if it happens, my friend, what should I ask him?
1: Well, mine would be, does he wish we'd done that in colour rather than black and
0: white? <laughs> no, I, I do. I wish it had been in colour. It would have made it a little easier for fans to hunt out the things, wouldn't it? Yeah, but maybe then too easy, perhaps. Because the Beatles, the Sergeant Pepper, like you mentioned, was full colour, wasn't that album cover? Was right right in nice colours from. um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) that's a great question, (laughs) (laughs) Ollie. Thanks for your time, man. Cheers. Nice to meet you. My thanks once again to Ollie Ball. What a lovely fella! You can find more information on the album cover in the show notes to this podcast, and right now in Brighton. This is the modern world, the ultimate exhibition of memorabilia for the jam and the Style Council. You can see a huge wall of the album cover, but also plenty of the key items in real life. Something very, very special. Find out more details on my website, paulwellerfanpodcast.com. Now, if you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, do share it in your social media channels, follow and leave a review as well. You can even buy me a virtual coffee on my website, paulwellerfanpodcast.com In future, a virtual coffee gets you a shout out on the podcast as well. So my thanks to Jim Milner. Keep up the good work. An absolute pleasure, he says. Colin and Jennifer Marsh. Alex McLaughlin. Keep on keeping on, Dan. Cheers, Alex. Simon Castleidge, An amazing piece of work. Truly wonderful. Well, bless you, sir. Brian G. Kevin Smith. Kevin Stiles. Duncan Greenwood. Brian says love your podcast. Enjoy your coffee. Thank you. Simon M. Dave Sear. A cracking job, Dan. Listening whenever possible. In the van. On my lunch break. Dave Sear from Northampton. Phil Baker says the first 100 were brilliant. I can't wait for the next 50. You and me both, my friend. Helen, congratulations on your brilliant podcast. I've listened to most of them now. They're always really fun and entertaining. Please don't get to the final goal of Weller too soon. I'm enjoying them too much. Well, thank you, Helen. And thanks to all of you who have bought virtual coffees so far on this podcast series. If you fancy digging in, shout outs on the podcast in future. Just go to my website, click on the store button, Paul WellerFanPodcast.com. Now you'll find me on social media as well. Get in touch on Twitter, at WellerFanPod, or on Instagram and Facebook, Paul Weller Fan Podcast. On the next episode, another huge talent joins us, Eliza Carthy MBE, held as an innovator and a leading light of England's folk scene. She rose to prominence in the mid nineties, both as a solo artist, and a member of Watterson Carthy, the group she formed with her parents, folk icons Norma Watterson and Martin Carthy. A singer-songwriter, a fiddle player, she covered Paul Weller's Wildwood in 2000 and played on Paul's Studio 150 album. It's another very special episode, so make sure you follow, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You don't want to miss this one. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time